So this is McShane Bible Study, day 61, and we're starting in Exodus 13. And he starts out by saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So this is an important picture of the firstborn. He goes through, you know, the children, because the firstborn of all Egypt had to die. Um, and they were saved by the blood of the Lamb, the the Israel people, Israelite people had to, whenever they, forevermore, whenever they had a firstborn son, he, or, uh, you know, son, daughter, whatever it doesn't say, the first out of the womb, mm-hmm. um, then they needed to, con- they needed to sacrifice an animal for this, right? They also had to sacrifice the firstborn of every animal. They were shepherds, right? So their mm-hmm. their animals were their livelihood, right? And you, so if you're if you're a shepherd and you have a flock of sheep or cows or whatever, you, you want them to grow and multiply so that you become richer, mm-hmm. right? And that's what you do. You eat from it. You sell some of them to make money for other things that you need that aren't animals. That's your whole livelihood. That's your whole business. So when when you have a female sheep and she gives a first lamb, it, sh- it shows a lot of faith in God to sacrifice that, right? Mm-hmm. It also became a means of providing for the Levites and the priests so that they could care for the spiritual needs of the people and be the go-between between the people and God, right? So it became a system or order for God's family in the world. And so, obviously, um, Adam was meant to be the firstborn son of God, right? Well, he was, but then he turned away. And so Jesus is firstborn in the spirit, firstborn in the way that we are supposed to live in, right? And so he was sacrificed for us so that the rest of us could live. Mm-hmm. You see the parallels there? And it's interesting, it goes right to talking about um, whenever they would move, they would have a pillar of cloud by day. They could easily see the cloud by day because it was daytime. And then at night, it would turn into a cloud of fire, which would help them so they could see because it was this giant light. And it, those things are a, a picture, a manifestation of the presence of God with them, Right. So we go right from the talk about um, the sacrifice of the firstborn for the life of the people mm-hmm. into the presence of God. You see the connection between those two things? Mm-hmm. Right. And then we move on to Luke 16, and we have the parable of the dishonest manager, which is a, a difficult one because the manager cheats his boss by, um, you know, using his boss's money to make friends with people in the world. And so how can this be commended as a good thing? And, you know, he's being commended for his shrewdness. And so there's a couple of ways to look at this. For one, he's shrewd in the ways of the world. The world does not go by God's way. And so be aware, we have to be aware of those things. We can't be in another place, he said, be, uh, is, what does he say? As wise as a serpent, but as innocent as a dove. So he says, you got to be aware of how the world works. You can't go around mm-hmm. assuming that the world works the way the kingdom works. Um, but 
he's also saying your father is very rich and he has many blessings. And so if you can share freely of the father's blessings with others of the world, uh, and he, he, he can, all, he always has more blessings, right? So, uh, he likes that you share of his blessings with those of the world. Verse 9, he says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth or mammon, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. I, 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 don't, I don't fully grasp that verse. Um, but if... Because some of the words are in the wrong order of, of what it seems to me, mean to me, which is... If you can bring others into the kingdom, mm-hmm. um, then it's worth it. Things of this world, whether that's money or uh, anything else material in this world, is nothing as of uh, the souls of people, right? So he says, mm-hmm. focus on the spiritual life. Focus on the souls of others. These things are of eternal value. And then in 13 he says... Well, you know, he goes on to say, one who's faithful with little is also faithful with much. So he watches us, and then he says, one who's dishonest with little is dishonest with much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? So what he's saying there, that makes a lot more sense, is that if if we have worldly wealth, mm-hmm. which we all do in this country, um, then... Are we, are we using it for kingdom eternal purposes? Or are we using it to satisfy our flesh? And he says, one, it gets a blessing and the other does not. 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. So he says, money better just be a tool for you in your efforts to serve the Lord or it will be your master. It's one or the other. Does that make sense? That goes for all of the world. But money is such an important... It's the way everything in the world transacts, right? Mm-hmm. So people can worship the money itself. Or they can worship the things the money buys. Either way, it's not worshiping God. He says, you will worship one or the other. Make sure money is merely a tool for you to worship the Lord. Otherwise, you, you'll end up worshiping it. And then, I always like this verse 16, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way in. Other, other translations say, violent men take it by force. He's saying, in order to come into the kingdom, we must make tremendous effort to seek the Lord. It doesn't happen just because we want it, but then we go about a worldly life. He's, he's, all these parables are about truly living for the Lord, even while we're in this world, which can be, right, well, right there, he said it's very difficult. And then there's the rich man and Lazarus parable, 25. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you're in anguish. He's 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent talking about his brothers he said to him if they do not hear moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead so they're 
So again, in the first part, he's saying that that this world passes away quickly. Eternity is a very long time. If you choose to live for yourself in this life, your eternity will not be as good. If if you totally don't have Christ at all, your eternity is horrible. If you only kind of carry around a little badge that says, I'm a Christian, but you live a worldly life, you're on the outskirts. If you truly live for the Lord, the blessings are immeasurable. Um, and then in 30, he's saying that it, we often think, well, if people would just see a sign or a miracle, then they would know. And sometimes that's true. But oftentimes, if their heart isn't to believe, <laughs> the sign of the miracle isn't going to change anything. And Jesus has given a specific example of his own life, right? Mm-hmm. He's the one that's going to raise from the dead. But he says, you people still aren't going to believe, right? Mm-hmm. He's the one from this parable. Okay. In Job 31, the, it's a lot like a lot of other Job chapters, but this stood out to me just because we just talked about this in Luke. Verse 24 and 25, If I have made gold my trust, or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant, or because my hand had found much, he's saying, you know, then I could be rejected, but I haven't done these things. So he, even though we just talked about he, he lived before the law of Moses, he didn't have all this law, but he kind of innately knew that you should trust in the Lord and not in wealth. And so when Jesus taught it, that wasn't a new idea. Um, and so I just this stood out since we just talked about it. And then we'll go on to Second Corinthians chapter one. Well, no, was I, he he actually wrote another letter to them, but it didn't get saved, so we don't have it. But you can kind of tell in this letter that there was another letter in between. Um, but like you and your cousin write letters back together, right? It's not because he's bad, but he's just, he's, he's teaching them and, and helping them to grow. And this letter is actually, it's one of my favorite. The the next few chapters after this one are, are awesome. Um, but he says, he starts out by saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So he's talking about being unified with Christ into God. He said, God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, um, are the givers of all comfort. He said, Jesus suffered so that we could come to be at one with the Father. Right? Mm -hmm. And so he says, now we are taking the position of leaders, just like Jesus was for us. So we suffer for you. And it's to your blessing that we suffer for you to build you up so that you can be built up in God like we have been. Mm-hmm. And he says, God comforts us and so we can comfort you. And so he says, in, in the same way, you will also likewise, at some point, do the same for others. Mm-hmm. And so 
you will give of your life so that others are blessed. In this way, God builds his house. Mm-hmm. You see that? He builds his family. And he says, it, it's not some superficial um, feel-good, you know, I've mentioned before, prosperity gospel where God just wants everybody to be uh, happy unicorns, right? He's, he's saying, hey, God takes us through some difficult times. You know, in their time, they would get thrown in jail. They'd get beaten. People would try to kill them because they were Christians. He said, hey, we've suffered. But we do this for the glory of God to spread amongst other people. Mm-hmm. Right? And so in different ways, you know, we suffer for our faith. But he says, our hope for you is unshaken. And so we, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. So they were going through difficult times. And he says, don't worry, there's peace for you. There's blessing for you. He says, through this, we learn to rely on God, not ourselves. He says, you know, he says, hey, we've had a sense of death over us, but why should we worry about that? God raises the dead. You see how just we talked about before examples in Luke, how Paul's living this out where he's not depending on his own life or his own comfort. He's depending on God, and he's teaching them to do the same thing. Uh You see that? And then the the last thing I want to point out towards the end of the chapter, verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So all the promises that God has given from the time of Adam to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses... To his people, all of these promises come to fulfillment through Christ. You see that? But not all of them have been fulfilled. No, no, but they will be. Oh. See that? Through, and so Christ raises up. He's the first among many brothers, right? So he raises us up. A spotless bride is another way to look at it, right? Mature sons or a spotless bride. Different pictures he gives of a unified church, which is a living temple of God on the world to represent him to all creation. And so he is still about this. And Christ is the one that makes it all possible. Jesus makes it all possible. And so he said, the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And 21, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So he's saying, it's not just God and Christ, but it's us that God is using for the fulfillment of his promises. Mm-hmm. Make sense? And he's going to get into that. The next few chapters are powerful. It, it, not as much, a little bit in the end of the chapter 2 and then 3, 4, 5. Um, but he talks about the, this spiritual reality that he's inviting us into. So we'll get into that this week. And we'll leave it there. God bless you. God bless you.